0: Hey, podcast listeners. Thanks for joining us for the All Saints Lutheran Sermon Series of Podcasts. We're so delighted that you've landed on this page, and we ask that you contextualize yourself by reading the descriptor. Enjoy and let us know what you think. Good morning, everyone. Better response than I was expecting. Hi. I'm I'm Thomas. I'm a junior at the University of Minnesota. I'm studying bioinformatics. You can ask me what that is, you know, later. And I'm involved with Lutheran Campus Ministries on campus. I'm a student leader there and I'm so happy to be here with you today. Thank you for the very warm welcome. So, as a result of growing up in church, I have heard the story of the prodigal son like about a goodillion times. Right? It's You'd hear it over and over again. The younger son's pride and reckless spending, his prodigal spending, you know, they lead him into temptation, and even as his loving father wants him to be reconciled. And that's that's the story, right? The message is that we need to turn from the error of our ways so that we can be reconciled to God. But the story of the younger son is only half the parable. The story starts, a man had two sons, and if we ignore the story of the older brother, we miss half the parable. The passage is often titled The Lost Son, but you could just as easily call it The Lost Sons, because once you start looking for parallels between the older son and the younger son, they're everywhere. Right? Both sons start their stories by demanding material possessions from their father, The younger son wants his inheritance, and the older son wants food to share with his friends. When they leave the home, both of them go hungry. The younger son doesn't have the resources of his father to rely on when a famine ravages the land, and no one else helps him out. No one else gives him anything. But meanwhile, the older son, his stubbornness causes him to miss out on the great meal where they're feasting on the family's prized animal. And one final similarity, neither son believes that the younger son deserves that boundless grace of the father. But the key difference in the stories is this. The younger son repents and is reconciled to the father. But the ending of the elder son story is left ambiguous. The tale here ends with a choice. And here, Jesus is inviting us into the shoes of the older brother. So siblings in Christ, let's visit this story with fresh eyes and fresh ears and put ourselves in the position of that older brother. How would this older brother define grace? What does he believe that grace means? His response to the father's acceptance of the younger son gives it away. In the parable, he says, I have been working like a slave for my father, and I have never disobeyed his command yet he has never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. It's pretty clear that this older son believes that grace is a thing to be earned, that love should be doled out as a reward to those who do good. He has fallen prey to the idea that the universe works in a way such that everyone receives exactly what they deserve, at least what the older brother believes they deserve. Right. He fails to recognize that all the while he's been comfortably fed and his brother has been starving. You know, which brother needs the feast? The one that's been well cared for or the one who's been starving and wanted to eat even what the pigs were eating. Right. This, this older brother can't see beyond his view of right and wrong. And he is suffering under this constrained grace. But Jesus doesn't just present us with this example of a rationalized, limited grace. Because there's another character in this story who has a chance to respond to the younger son. The father, who has this great, abundant, prodigal, wasteful love. In the translation of the story we just read, so we talk about how the father was filled with compassion, right? That's the wording they use. But I think the English isn't doing the Greek proper justice here. Right. So there's a word in the original Greek. So it's asplantinista. And that literally translates to the father's insides were moving. Like they just took the word for your internal organs and made it into a verb. Like it's very powerful physical language, right? It says that the father's reaction is so strong, so instinctual. It's literally part of his innermost being. When the son comes home, All that the father knows, and all that the father can know, is grace. For every assumption, every excuse, and every rationalization that pops into the father's head, that would keep him separated from his son, all of these things are left behind. The only thing that the father cannot leave behind is a compassion that's both innate and embodied, and overwhelming and unending. And here's where Jesus gives the listener a choice. In the church, we're used to thinking of ourselves as the younger son, needing to make a choice to accept the grace of God. But if we just read ourselves as the younger son, we're missing half the point. Because Jesus did not just tell this story, that we might be unafraid to enter the grace of God. Jesus told this story, that we might become the grace of God. And we hear this same message in our reading from 2 Corinthians, which tells us, yes, the cross may have reconciled us to God, but this is only half the story. For in Christ, the reading says, all things are being made new. Why? That we might become the righteousness of God. And this, this transformation, it's not a passive process, right? it's described as a ministry of reconciliation, right? It's it's something we have to do. It's a consistent choice we have to make. It is the responsibility of the church and every follower of Christ to embody this prodigal love of the Father, the boundless love that is the very essence of God. Just as God calls us dearly beloved in the midst of our brokenness, so we are called to become this unconditional belovedness. So I grew up in a church that understood grace kind of only as a mechanism of atonement, and it was limited to those who conformed to their beliefs. But as I went off to college, and every day I'd walk on the Washington Avenue Bridge over the Mississippi River to get into my classes, I'd see a, I'd see a sign from LCM, right? And it read, God loves everyone, no exceptions. And I knew that it was true. And when I I left those churches that believed in a limited grace, at LCM, I found that a radical grace had truly taken root amongst God's people. It was a grace that welcomes questioners and skeptics and tells us that it's okay to wrestle with the faith. It's a grace that uses the boundless love of Christ to undo the harm that the church has perpetuated and invites everyone into the kingdom of God. It's the same grace that calls us beloved children of God. And friends, even when we struggle to bring grace into the world, we are assured that one day the perfect grace of God will be made manifest. For as we live in a world in tumult, we know only a dimly lit reflection of this abundant love that God has for us. But we are promised that one day, we shall fully comprehend this unsurpassable grace so that it can do nothing but overflow into the world around us. So siblings in Christ, let us be transformed by this abundant, amazing grace and rejoice in the fact that God uses us to bring about the kingdom of heaven here on earth. Amen.